Yo, welcome back to HRT. Hope your week was awesome. Today, I've brought my buddy Clara on to help me talk about the safety struggles of being trans and bring some awareness to it. Like you guys aren't aware how dangerous it can be to be yourselves. <laughs> but uh, Clara has been following the pod for a while and we've talked a bit in the past. He's actually the reason I had on Aiden and Taylor. Uh, so thank you to Clara for that. I appreciate him. And thank you guys for all the love on the last episode with uh, Ulrich. I knew you, you I knew you guys would love that one. Please keep commenting, liking, subscribing so that I can continue to put out videos for y'all. Uh, and like I said last week, and I'm going to say it every week, uh, if you want to be a guest, you can find a survey in my link tree, which will be in the description below and in my Instagram and TikTok bios. Uh, just a few brief questions, so make sure you check that out if you want to be on HRT. Uh, and for the love of fuck... If you don't follow me on Instagram and TikTok at HRT Podcast, then honestly, you're fake as fuck and you're transphobic. I'm just kidding, but please follow me. I would really appreciate it. I never wanted to be someone who cares about follows and likes and shit, but I need to do that in order to put out. I need to have that so that I can put out quality content for you guys. Uh, so just help me out. Same goes for Patreon. Please help. Merch ain't cheap. Thank you. Uh, lastly, Join my Discord. Discord's free, so you literally don't have an excuse. There's so many people, over 100 people in there, that want to be your friend and help you through your transition. So do it or you're transphobic. <laughs> That's my excuse for everything. Uh, and that is about it. Uh, let's go talk to Clara. Appreciate you guys. Bye. I do want to start off by asking you where you are from, because I sure. Um, so <laughs> I grew up in Connecticut in um, a commuter town to New York City, like forty-five minutes outside the suburbs. Um, and I was in uh, Connecticut up until I was eighteen. I went to college in Massachusetts at um, Mount Holyoke and spent ten years in Philadelphia. But I just moved to Madison, Wisconsin, the capital, uh, like nine months ago. So a whole new adventure. Slay. How long did you say you were in Connecticut for? Uh, like up until I was about 18, uh, once I went to college. So, yeah. How was Connecticut with, you know, trans stuff? Yeah. Um, Connecticut's an interesting state because it's kind of small. Um, you can only drive like two hours through at max. Um, I did live in a little bit more of a conservative town called Greenwich. Uh, there's a lot of like, because it's so close to New York, a lot of like, finance bros and wall street people are like oh this is a pretty commute i'll just take the train in um so i would say it was kind of a mix um but for the whole like connecticut tends to be blue um you know maybe i experienced like a little bit of like aim lgbt bullying in middle school kind of thing like you know yeah. i think you're a lesbian or whatever <laughs> but like other than that i never had any like serious threats of like harm or anything um just maybe like some of my peers Nice. Yeah, yeah. I've been to Connecticut a couple times. You're well. You were Connecticut is just a state over from me, so mm -hmm. it's it's much like New York. It's not not horrible. Um, but how's Wisconsin with it? Yeah. Um. So I still kind of feel like a tourist here, getting to know everyone. But yeah, I do feel like I have a unique experience because I am in one of the more blue parts. Um. Versus like Milwaukee is like the big city here. I'm an hour and a half from that. But Madison is like 250,000 people. But it's where the state university is. 
you know, this year they accepted like 50,000 undergrads, I think with staff, faculty, master students, there's like 78,000 people just associated with the university. So I think due to the fact that there is a little bit more of a larger concentration of people, um, Madison tends to be a bit more liberal, but um, it's certainly not uncommon, you know, I'll walk downtown, you see like the state capitol, which is a beautiful dome, and there's, you know, people protesting all different kinds of things, whether it's like anti-LGBT, um, et cetera. So, but there was yesterday, they just passed a ban on gender affirming care for minors and um, high school students not being able to play on the sport, like on the sports team that aligns with their gender identity. I know a lot of people were downtown yesterday um, trying to combat that and like speak their piece. Uh, so mm. I don't know, we'll, we'll see. Wisconsin's in an interesting place. Um, a couple months ago, it flipped to have a liberal Supreme Court for the first time in 15 years. So I think we're like on the precipice of like really big change happening. So we'll see. Well, damn. The sports thing, is that at like where you are? Or like just in a random school in Wisconsin? I think it's a statewide. Okay. Yeah. Damn, that sucks. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, and that's in like what, like high schools, middle schools, or like colleges and stuff too? Yeah, I don't want to misspeak, so I want to pull up an article <laughs> real quick. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, Wisconsin CBS News, Minnesota. Wisconsin Assembly approves transgender sports restriction, restrictions and gender affirming surgery ban. Um, so, yeah, I think oh, it's shit. just statewide for yeah, it is what oh, it is. Fuck. And minors can't medically transition. You said too in Wisconsin. I think it's specifically uh, surgery. Oh, got you. Yeah. So. Oh, damn. I, you know, That's every a, state has different minor ages anyway, so that thing can really vary. It's kind of odd. I don't I don't even know what it is in New York. I think with parents' consent, you can in New York. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would like to know, are you on testosterone, my friend? Yeah, I am on testosterone. Slaying. Um. <laughs> do you do injections? Uh, so currently I do injections. I started on, on it, on gel, um, in January of 2022. Um, and I wanted to do low dose. So I've been on, I've been on low dose gel and then I started having some hair thinning and I spoke with my dermatologist and he thought that maybe the way that you are, your body's actually physically absorbing the testosterone might impact how much DHT you have. I don't know if you're familiar with DHT, dihydrotestosterone. So balding, um, there's like balding is like multifactorial and that there are multiple reasons like why one might start to bald. But one of the main causes is the substance called dihydrotestosterone, which increases if you have more testosterone in your body. It's like you have more T, now you have more DHT. So you can you can do something called um, you can you can go on a DHT blocker finasteride, mm. um, but anyway. So we were he was thinking like oh maybe because of the gel like a dermatological application I might be producing more DHT. So he was like I thought it'd be he he thought it would be like interesting to see if like the shot prevented any of the hair thinning to see if that was going to create less DHT in my body. So I swapped. I haven't had any more hair thinning since I swapped the shot into finasteride, the DHT blocker. Um, so, uh, yeah, 
So yeah, it'll be like two years in January. Wow. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. Well, actually, isn't that like a thing? Like even in cis men, if like cis men go bald, doesn't that mean they have more testosterone or something? Isn't that like a thing? Sure, sure. So yeah, the the science would be exactly the same in terms of like T creating DHT and having more DHT, meaning that you're more likely to go bald. But it is not like definite in that like if you did a survey with like all these men who are balding and had testosterone, it wouldn't definitely be like the man with the most testosterone is 100% going to be bald. Like it's not <laughs> one for one, but it's like the man with the most testosterone probably has the most DHT and probably yeah. is very likely to go bald. <laughs> but it's just, yeah, it's just like, there's so many, I guess, like genetic factors um, mm. that go into it. Yeah. That's my biggest fear. I think with testosterone, my hair is all that I have. <laughs> I'm so scared of that. You have no idea. For sure. That's crazy though. That so the gel was the cause mm-hmm. of that. Wow. I I mean you know I, I didn't actually like go through a scientific study, but it definitely helped for me swapping. Um, so I I wouldn't say that my hair like came back, but I haven't had any like like major issues that I've noticed like since. So, you know, what? it's working for me. <laughs> <laughs> now, how long were you on the gel for? Eight months. Eight months. What was the gel like? Did you like it? <sighs> there were pros and cons. I mean, from like an emotional standpoint, it was nice in terms of like, it's just not as jarring as to give yourself a shot. Right. Mm. So <laughs> from that point, it was nice. Um, I will say it was interesting. So I was supposed to put mine um, on like my shoulders and like kind of like behind the shoulder. I was told versus sub Q where you literally put it in your fat, which is like what I do now. It's like, I was told the gel should go on not fatty areas. So that's why I suggest the shoulders. And um, where I put the gel on, I swear there's a little bit more hair there. <laughs> it was like hair growth gel. <laughs> um, that's funny. But the other thing about the gel was, I will say, I didn't notice this until I went back on shots, but I basically spent eight months, like, spending so much time away from my wife because I was always so nervous about transferring it or the dogs. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm out of the practice of, like, hugging you or, like, embracing <laughs> you because we were so stressed about it all the time. So in some ways, it kind of took a toll that way that I didn't, mm. like, realize subconsciously. Yeah, I used to think that with the gel, you couldn't, like, touch your girlfriend or you turn her into a man or something. <laughs> I think it's – I thought it's only, like, for 15 minutes, though, like, until it dries or something, right? Uh, yeah, it seems like so mixed message. And, you know, my wife's actually a scientist, um, and so we were looking through some of the clinical trials and the paperwork associated with the with the testosterone when you bring it home from the drugstore. And, you know, some of the examples are, like – we tested the gel by having two adults put it on their stomachs, having them separate for 15 minutes, then having their stomachs touch and seeing what happened, like all this like weird shit. And you're just like, <laughs> and this was a study of like 15 people and you're just like, uh, I don't know. We, we were just cautious for sure. We could have, it could have been overkill, but yeah. Now with the gel from compared to injections since you've done both now like did you notice when you started injections like physical changes happened quicker yeah i i did and i did so on the gel um excuse me um i was on low dose so my understanding for how mine was administered was like four pumps was like a full dose i only did half and i've only been on 
um, like doing 0.25, like 50 milligrams or whatever. So I've been on low dose the whole time on both. And even though they're supposed to be like equivalent gel and shots, like the same amount, I still was having faster changes on the shots for sure. And it wasn't just reflected in what I'm seeing in the mirror. Like when I look at my blood work, my testosterone levels definitely have increased on the shots. Yeah. Interesting. Now, when you were on the gel, did, was it like, did you experience the same like mood swings and stuff that all, all of us tend to get? I don't know. Um, Mood swings. So another reason that I thought about doing the gel at first was uh, there was a theory that like with the gel, you're having a little bit every day. So the potential for mood swings is less and that like you're getting a little bit every day. So there's not this like drop off. And so I wouldn't say that I felt like I had mood swings on the gel. I mean, I can just say from being on no testosterone to then being on testosterone gel, I definitely felt like a little bit different in my emotions, right? The stereotype, like you're le- less likely to cry, like those sorts of things. Um, but I will say with the shots, I do notice a little bit of a dip. I would say, I, you know, I take a shot weekly. So like day six, right before the, the shot is due. Um, that's, I'm more likely to like shed a tear. You know, like if, if there's like a commercial on or like a movie, that's like the only, and then it's like, oh, tomorrow must be shot day. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's not funny so now you you definitely feel the mood swings and everything with the injections more yeah i mean i would say uh yeah it's just a little bit of a dip like maybe a little bit more emotional or emotionally unregulated the day before but it hasn't been something that i've been like concerned about or something so um it's like okay i know this about myself i don't know kind of think of it like when I used to get my period and I'd be like, okay, I'm PMSing right now. Or, you know, it's just like, I have some information about what's going on and it's only one day. So I'll just, you know, live with it and move on. Got you. Now you switched to injections because of hair loss, right? Yeah. 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 That was the main, I was like, "Mm." yeah. Was that like your only, did you, it was, was it your choice to start on the jail? Because you wanted a lower dose? Yeah, it, yeah, it was my choice to start on the gel, yeah. Interesting, cool. Um, how long in total have you been on tea? I forget. Yeah, no worries. Uh, I started in January 2022, something like a little bit over 19 months. Cool. Wow. Well, congratulations. Thanks. Um, now, how was switching to injections? Did you have like shot anxiety or anything? Yeah, um, I was definitely nervous about it. Um, I had a really good like primary care provider um, who was actually a trans woman who really took the time to meet with me and my wife and like practice and like go over how to do it. Um, and yeah, I, you know, I've never like loved needles, but I just sort of was like, I don't know, I decided that my needle needle phobia was worth overcoming versus like my my fear of losing hair. So right. I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this. Um, so in the beginning, yeah, like I would have my wife like sit with me or like talk me through it. And then at one point, um, due to like work stuff, we were separate for a couple of weeks. So then I would just like FaceTime her in and then now I just like totally do it on my own. I am doing sub Q, so it's the smaller needle. So it's like less intimidating. Um, uh, and I would say I'm like pretty cool about it up until the last part where you're like, I've changed the needle, I've drawn it up. And then you're just like, this is the worst part. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, at this point it's just kind of a means to an end and then it's done. Yeah. Right. It's that for me, it's that 
one second right before you're about to do it. I'm like completely fine, like drawing it up and like getting there. I mean, like it feels like a chore and I'm like, oh, I don't want to do this right now. But then like, I'm like, okay, I'm ready. And then it's like, oh, that means I have to stab myself now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I usually Absolutely. have like music and stuff to help me get through it. But where do you do it? Do you do it in your stomach? Yeah, I do it in my stomach. Yeah. I, I got to get on the sub Q grind. I have to. Because I'm tired of this I am shit. <laughs> honestly, I mean, certainly you could, like, message your doctor. But, I mean, I don't think you're going to get, like, different syringes. I don't think you're going to get a different vial of testosterone. You probably literally just need to buy a different needle size. Like, a different syringe. Like, whatever it is. Yeah, like, needle size. And then that's it. You just administer it differently. Like, that's all, all your doctor's going to tell you to do. So, yeah. I never thought of that. <laughs> Why was I thinking that it's, like, a... <laughs> But it's like a completely different thing. You're so right. It's literally just the needle. Wow. Interesting. Um, yeah, I got to I gotta get on that because I think that if I was on something, but the thing is, that's my, the pros and cons list of IM and sub-Q, I feel like, is IM is better in the sense of I only have to do it every two weeks where you do it probably weekly, right? I do. I'm not sure if there are people out there who have looked into every two, like, I don't know about two weeks. Like if you can take a larger dose on sub Q, I, I have no idea about that. Um, but you could certainly ask your doctor if they say, yes, you could try a large amount sub Q, you know, I don't know, take pictures of yourself, whatever, something for a month. And then if you like it, stick with it. If you don't go back. Yeah. See, I don't know if I would hate it or like it more because I'd have to do it more often. Cause I don't shot day is to me, it just feels like a chore sometimes. So I don't know if I would hate it more that I had to do it every week now or if I would like it more because it didn't hurt as much. Is it really about the the actual pain? Because sometimes for me it's about literally seeing the needle, not even that it's going to hurt. So I don't know if you're just yeah. like the needle size or if the actual physical pain you're experiencing. It's just that one quick pinch sometimes. And it's weird because every shot is different. Like I, I think that's my problem with it. The like I never know what to expect. Sometimes I bleed tremendously. Sometimes there's mm. no blood at all. Sometimes there's a little pinch. Sometimes it feels like nothing. And I think like that aspect of it makes me mad. And <laughs> I never know what's gonna happen. Um, in terms of bleeding, like I've gone to acupuncture for years, uh, but I, I still felt like it was different to like administer a shot yourself. But because like yeah. I wouldn't look. But my acupuncturist had told me that you're more likely to bleed with needles if you're more dehydrated. So like, try to drink a lot of water that day. You know. <laughs> yeah. See, that's smart because I don't drink water enough. <laughs> I have maybe like three sips a day. It's awful. I don't take okay. care of myself. <laughs> Mark your note on the calendar the day before your shot day. So hopefully less bleeding. You're smart. You seem like you have your life together, and I'm just out here <laughs> raw dogging it. <laughs> um, but you just got top surgery, didn't you? Yeah, I did four weeks ago today. Hell yeah, bro. Congrats. That's awesome. Thank you. Uh, where did you go for it? Sure. Um, so I went to uh, the University of Wisconsin, um, where, where I live. I, I actually heard about this place before I even moved out here. Um, from some other people in the Midwest. Um, there's a woman named Dr. Catherine Gast, um, who only does gender-affirming surgeries. She's not general plastics. Um, she did her training, her residency in the Netherlands. I don't know if you're familiar, but the Netherlands are like really big on trans healthcare. They actually are where puberty locker started, right? The first place to do that. Um, mm -hmm. And so I was like, oh, she knows her stuff. Like she's trained with like yeah. B people. Um, when I went in for the, I, I will tell you it was a long wait list. 
Like I called before we moved, I had 10 months just to get the consult. Then I had six months from the consult to the actual surgery date. Um, but she told me that she had done double incision over 600 times and had a 3% revision rate. And I was like, well, that's all I need to know. Yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> Honestly, so. that's all I need to hear. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. So mm -hmm. you got a double incision. How was your like overall experience with it? Yeah, I would say, um, it was, it was really good. It just, it just was generally nerve wracking. Um, I, you know, I typically like faint during blood draws and stuff. And I just, I just get nervous around medical stuff. I, I've gotten through the shot phobia, but generally nervous about medical stuff. So yeah, but everybody was like super nice. Um, I, you know, I really tried to follow all the instructions, like wearing a compression vest for 30 days. Today's my last day. Thank God. And, um, <laughs> So I got, I got my drains out two days early because I didn't have a lot of fluid. So that was nice. Um, I, n I never even had to use any of like the prescription pain drugs. Um, I was alternating Tylenol and Advil. I didn't have major pain. Um, she did use a special nerve block. I haven't heard of any other surgeons using nerve blocks that lasted like over 72 hours. I had to leave the hospital with a special wristband that says like you've had the XRL shot. She was joking. Oh, it was like a party wristband because I guess you're not allowed <laughs> to take other stuff, but uh -huh. Highly recommend the nerve block. Um, wow. So, uh, I yeah. I was on codeine. I was taking codeine for my top surgery. Okay. I was in a lot of pain. It was that ride yeah. home. Mm. That ride home. Because I, I did it in the city. It was like an hour, hour drive. But all the potholes and shit that my mom was hitting on the ride home, I it's so weird because I think back to that ride and during, I was like, this is the longest car ride of my life. But looking back on it, I swear to God, I was only in the car for like five minutes. <laughs> like, I was so like fucked up <laughs> from the anesthesia. Did you, uh, when you woke up, did you like know where you were or anything? Yeah. Um... I would say it was funny because I woke up in the recovery room and I was clearly like, I was mid conversation with probably what was a nurse at the time, but I have no idea what we were talking about, but I was like, <laughs> all of a sudden I'm like, I'm in a conversation with somebody. <laughs> um, but I was cognizant enough to know that like, okay, I'm in the recovery room and I can see a clock on the wall. Um, yeah. I mean, the most nerve wracking part was they actually had me walk myself with the with the OR nurse like into the operating room and get on the table and it's like all these bright lights all these people yeah. all I was thinking to myself was like don't look at any of the equipment like I was like if I uh -huh. see a scalpel I'm gonna freak the fuck out dude I forgot about that I remember I walked in and sat on my operating table as well do you remember when like going to sleep or no I remember I like got on the table. They were like strapping in my legs, which was not something I expected because I was like, oh, oh God, this sounds like That's I don't even know, like a straight jacket. And all of a sudden, she, like my surgeon, um, she was trying to ask me about my legal career and I was chatting about it. And then all of a sudden, that was, I don't remember anything else. That's it. Mm. Yeah. All of a That's sudden, I just happened. was like, yeah. Did they put the thing over your face or did you get like anesthesia through like an injection thing or something? Yeah. Um, the anesthesia physiologist we spoke with earlier uh like before i went in the, in the operating room and he said his goal was for it to just come through the bag and that i would have a mask but that i shouldn't remember it that it should come on and off before i'm conscious again and that's exactly what happened i wonder if they did that to me that's crazy was your throat sore after um because that would tell you no i don't think so 
Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I remember they just put an IV in my arm, and I they were talking to me, and I just knocked the hell out. <laughs> Best sleep I've ever gotten. And then I woke up. This is such an embarrassing story. I, w- I remember waking up on the table, and they were like, Cody, let's just, like, we have to sit you up really quick. We have to, like put your pants on and stuff and I was like those are my favorite pants I love those pants and everyone was like okay (laughs) (laughs) and then and then like I know that I was already like wrapped up or something but they had to like fix it or something I don't fucking know and they were like we just have to fix this really quick and I looked down and in my head I saw my chest there were like there was no blood there was no bruising like it was just a perfect like cis male chest (laughs) in my head and like I went into like when I woke up again in the recovery room or something, I was like, Mom, I saw my chest. It's beautiful. <laughs> and she was like, No, you didn't. <laughs> it's fucking stupid. Definitely just saw all that in my head. That's so funny. <laughs> Why yeah, not? Fucked up. Why not? Why not? <laughs> uh, but when did you come out of strands? I have not. Sure. Yeah, um, I came out in November of 2020. Um, so I spent the first year really doing more of a social transition and like really thinking it through. So it was only about a year in that I decided to start on tea. Um, yeah. Okay, cool. Nice. I can give you a little bit of my process into how I figured it yeah. out or, yeah. Yeah, I was just about <laughs> to ask, yeah. <laughs> um, sure, so in some ways, have you ever heard of this concept called trans time? Kind of theoretical. Yeah, no, I haven't. It's almost like it's like it doesn't feel like time, like in terms of your trans identity, is one straight line where you go from like point A to point B because like everything in our culture and society is telling us like no, this isn't you, this isn't real. So you're always like double checking, like I don't know, like uh, yeah, like double. I don't, I don't know, double checking is the right word, but like you're always like thinking it over and you're like, is this really me? Right? I mean, I guess for some people, maybe they're like, I definitely knew. And so for me, it was like adding up all these little things over time that when I like put it all together and I was like, Oh my God, this makes so much more sense now. Um, so yeah, I mean like the earliest memory I have is like being five on the playground in elementary school and feeling like I, I didn't fit in with the girls. Like I didn't want to play house, but then like the boys didn't want to play with me because I had cooties because I was a girl. And I was like, I really wish I was a boy. Like I was like, this sucks. <laughs> right? The boys won't um, play with me. I know. <laughs> so yeah, I, I just really felt um, a little ostracized, like growing up, like not fitting in. Um, and so it was really like in college, I took a gender studies course and that was like the first time I'd ever heard of like transgender and there were, I went to a women's college and there were a couple trans men on my campus. And I remember just being like fascinated by them, right? I was like, <laughs> I wanted to be their best friends. <laughs> they were like upper class and I had no interest, but I was like, I want to know everything about this, but I don't want to be invasive. <laughs> like, um, so it was, at one point I had like an ex confront me in college and she kind of announced like, okay, but like, if you decide that's you, like, that's not for me. And I was like, in my head, I'm like, guess that's not me. It's just like, it's going to keep pushing that down. Right, and then, yeah. you know, so it's like years go by, you know, I listen, listen to a podcast and, you know, I like hear some trans guy talk and then I'd be like, oh, wow. And then he'd be talking about how like now he feels like he blends in. He's just some like short ball guy. And I was like, I don't know that I want to do that. Like that doesn't sound fun. Um, oh, cause I was out, I was out as a, like a lesbian or as a lesbian was always too feminine. So I was out as like a gay 
from like 13 to 29. So I did spend like a long time, yeah, mm -hmm. out in a different way. So um, it wasn't until the pandemic, right? So it was like November, 2020, we were deep into like COVID and like isolating. Um, we still didn't know how the election was gonna go yet, if Biden was gonna win or if Trump was gonna be reelected, which felt very stressful. And then I had had like a really difficult time um, with like uh, like my shoulder, like shoulder pain and some like numbness and tingling in my hands. And I had to take like some time off from law school and I wasn't doing sports. And so it was almost like, I felt like I was like losing my whole identity. Like I was like, I'm not doing sports. I'm not doing school. What's happening with my career? Like, am I gonna have to go on disability? Like everything's turned out a lot better now, we're warning. Um, but I kind of had this like existential crisis moment where I was like, why is this stressing me out so much? You know, like, can't I just be like, I need some time off and that's okay. And I came to this conclusion that like, I spent so much of my life trying to tick these boxes that would be like perfectionist, like doing all these accomplishments because I felt like I wasn't lovable because I had like this thing about me that just always seemed unacceptable, which was just like my transness and my like masculinity, but I just didn't have any like concept of that. And so, yeah, on this like, yeah, I just like kind of was on this dog walk and was like kind of just going through everything in my head. And I was just like, oh my God, I'm not a little girl. That's the whole thing. Like I never was a girl. Like <laughs> I've done all these things like over time, like be an NCAA athlete, go to law school because I wanted to be like, look, I'm lovable. I do all these things that people like on paper. So mm -hmm. yeah, it was just like a really big reflection during the pandemic. Wow. A lot of my guests recently have, have, are people that came out during the pandemic or realized they were trans during the pandemic, which I think is really interesting. And I think it's a good thing. I've seen some transphobic people on the internet say that like it became like a trend or something, but like, no, I think everybody just had time to like actually sit with themselves and not listen to the outside world for once and realize that they were trans. And there's a lot more trans people on the web than you think guys got. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, even if you look, even if you say that like trans people are like, two percent of the population i think globally the country of russia is like 1.8 percent of like the world's population so it's like as many people as russia could potentially be trans. like that's a lot of people that is a lot of fucking people jesus christ um now you said there was a bunch of things from your childhood that you can like think back to when you're mm -hmm. like oh that makes sense which is funny because we have a segment later um before we go that uh I got the idea from somebody in the Discord. His name is uh, Eli, and we're gonna read a bunch of Discord things from people who uh, like their stories about how they should have known they were trans but didn't at a young age. Um, so, do you like relating to that? Do you like? Do you think you had gender dysphoria before you knew you were trans but didn't know it was gender dysphoria? Um. Yes, absolutely. I have some comments too to your first part, but I, I definitely do. Um, I think about in high school, um, I went to 10th through 12th grade. I went to school called the Harvey School in Katona, New York and Westchester. And we had a dress code. You had to wear a collar shirt. Actually, it's funny I'm wearing this today because I was always trying to get around the dress code and like I really didn't like like a women's collared polo where like mm. you could see like more of the outline of the breast, right? I was always going for more like boxier cuts. And at that school in particular, rugby was really popular. At that time there's only a men's team, now there's a women's team, which is great. But so somehow it was still like socially acceptable to wear like a preppy rugby shirt. Like I'm doing a collar, but then I didn't quite have like the women's fit. 
And I always was so particular about shirts. And so I kind of just had this thing where it was like, oh, I'm just really picky. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just really <laughs> particular. It was 100% gender dysphoria, but I just had no clue. And even as I got older and the internet became, internet shopping became more popular, I never wanted to order clothes online. And I think it's because I was like, oh, I need to see how it fits. AKA, I don't want to see boobs at all. <laughs> yeah, so definitely. So do you think now that you've gotten top surgery, a good amount of your gender dysphoria has been better? I It still feels like so fresh because like it's only four weeks and I've still been wearing this compression vest, right? I wear, I wear it for four weeks since last day. So it's still like there's something still there. <laughs> but I'm so excited. This is like one of the first days that I've actually worn like a pullover. Like I've just been doing button down, you know, because it's like can't lift your arms up and all that. So I'm so excited to see how all my clothes fit, um, et cetera. So have yeah, you, I, I think we're getting there. Have you put on a shirt yet without anything underneath? I haven't, no. Oh my God, bro. Oh, it's gonna <laughs> be the best moment of your life. I remember that, it felt so fucking good. I remember like thinking that like, the best moment was gonna be when I took my shirt off and like all the bruising was gone and you could barely notice that I had surgery. I thought that was gonna be my moment, but my moment where I was so just filled with fucking joy after my top surgery was the first time I put on a shirt and just like feeling nothing there. Oh, bliss. <laughs> bliss. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, now back to your, you know, coming out story. Like, do mm. you have, how was that for you? Do you have like a supportive family? Yeah. Um, I would say, I mean, the number one, like, biggest supporter for sure is, like, my wife. Um, you know, right, I think I talked earlier about how, like, I had an ex who was unsupportive. Um, it's funny because, like, some years later, this kind of came up again, even though I still didn't address it, like, towards the end of that relationship, maybe 2014. And she was like, you know, if you did decide that was you, you know, it was it would be okay. And in the back of my head, I'm like, I don't know that you're, you really think that. So, but so, like, having this, like, really supportive partner, like, even on our first date, like my wife always suspected I was trans. So um, I always had, okay, maybe not this much of a goatee, but I always had a little bit of facial hair. And I probably, like when I went to start tea, I met with a gynecologist at Penn Medicine and she was like, you probably have PCOS. Well, um, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's, uh, I think it's called polycystic ovary syndrome. It can be a reason why like people assigned female birth might have some facial hair essentially. Mm, and um, so I guess on her first date, you know, this, this was like the shame of my life as an adult, right? Like always brought the tweezers, right? Like you're going on a trip. Maybe you're like, I have to have my toothbrush and my medication. And I was like, I have to have the tweezers, right? <laughs> and so on my first date with uh, my wife, I guess I hadn't gotten everything. And so she was like, oh, I think this person is on testosterone, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, And then like, I never brought it up. And then I guess she was like, this person is not on testosterone. Oh my God. Um, but like, you know, we'd like watch a documentary about trans people and she'd be like, if you have anything to tell me, you know, like, just so you know, like, I'm supportive. So, um, no, like my wife has definitely been like, like certainly like my rock about it. And like my, my family like really loves my wife and really respects her. And honestly, like having her be so supportive, it I almost felt like they were like, oh, we have to take this seriously. This isn't just like a face. <laughs> like, um, yeah, so it was like nice to have that person like vouching or like validating or even like modeling for the rest of the family, like intentionally using different pronouns, like in a sentence in front of people. Um, so 
yeah, a lot of credit to my wife. Um, you know, I think in the beginning of my family, it was a little bit rocky. Um, my mom's brother's gay, so my uncle. Um, so it certainly has always been great to have like another LGBT member. Um, but, uh, you know, it's still a little bit different. And as opposed to coming out as like about your sexuality, where you're just like, hey, I'm giving you this piece of information, which always feels awkward. You're like, oh, I'm sexually attracted to like this type of person, right? <laughs> but now it's like, I'm asking you to do something differently. I'm like, I might be asking you, call, be calling you, about, be calling me by a different name, like asking you to use different pronouns. And that actually requires more work. Um, so True. yeah, I think in the beginning there was some adjustment. Um, I think for my dad, it's, it's been a little, a little tough, but, um, you know, I think we're, we're, we're improving over time. I, you know, I wouldn't say it's perfect, but I'm certainly, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not being, uh, like disowned by my family or, or anything like that. Good. Always love to hear that. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, that's cool though, that you have your wife. Now you, when you and your wife started dating, I guess you weren't trans yet. No, I had no idea. This was in 2015. So in November, we will have been together for like eight years. Um, yeah. Awesome. Uh, thanks. And uh, yeah, yeah. So I think I just, yeah, I just, I just thought I was gay then because, you know, men are gay. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Dude, I um, did the exact same thing. I, before I was trans, I don't think I ever said the L word. I was so uncomfortable with it. I was like, nope, I'm gay. <laughs> like that was it <laughs> i don't know if i, I thought that. of that phrase like lipstick lesbian right like i'm like well i'm not wearing lipstick you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh actually and you mentioned changing your name i wanted to talk to you about that because mm. you did not change your name and i think that's so cool and i'm so jealous mm. because i think only certain people can rock that like you and sasha allen dylan mulvaney like it's Oh, like you make the name Clara masculine. Sasha makes the name Sasha masculine. Like, ah, I want to do that. And I wish I could have. But um, was there a reason why you didn't? Yeah, I guess, you know, and that was one of the things like in terms of this concept of trans time and being like, am I really trans and going back and forth a lot? You know, originally, like kind of what you heard in popular media was like, you feel like, you know, a boy trapped in a girl's body or like, you know, you want to totally erase your prior identity. And I was just like, I don't know that I want to totally erase my prior identity, right? So I was like, maybe I'm not trans. Just because I was like misinformed. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it all goes back to, I'm named after my great grandmother. Um, my middle name is Belle, so Clara Bell. And um, in kindergarten, Disney's Beauty and the Beast came out. Um, and that was very popular and there's Princess Belle, right? Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, I was like, oh, wow, I am not Princess <laughs> Belle. I do not want to be Belle for Halloween. Nobody talked to me about Belle. <laughs> and so all of a sudden, I was just like, we are getting rid of Belle. Because my dad would call me Clara Belle or CB. So like mm -hmm. at six, I was like, I'm just Clara. I'm not Clara Belle. <laughs> and I had no idea what reclaiming one's name was at that time. I didn't learn mm -hmm. later until like gender studies class at Mount Holyoke. So um yeah, so somehow, I don't know, that's just, like, kind of how I survived that I created this, like, separation in my mind of, like, just Clara and Clara Bell. <laughs> and so my long-term goal is to eliminate um, my middle name. I think I'm going to change it to Clara Alexander. Um, but, yeah, so the cultural thing as a kid was, like, something I wanted to differentiate. Um, I also like the idea of being out, right? Like, I would always um be noticeable right it wouldn't just be like oh now i'm another you know tom joe dick harry whatever 
Um, I, you know, I've heard stories of people transitioning and then men saying things that are like terribly sexist or transphobic or whatever, because they think they're in a safe space. And I'm like, I don't even want to open myself up to those like confrontational conversations. So, um, yeah, you know, I mean, it's been funny, like coming out on social media and occasionally I'll have like a couple of people I went to elementary school with. They're like, I'm so having a great time, like watching your, you know, journey. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm so happy to be like that one point of reference for people to be like, I do know a transgender person, that kid Clara from, you know, Top Town School. Like, um, so yeah so it was like kind of I guess like a tactic for you to not change your name so that you could in a way not expose yourself to transphobia in a way I guess I think so um and in some way combat almost actively combat transphobia and because I feel like part of it is trying to like erase or say that trans people aren't real and so, um, it, yeah, it, it's definitely, you know, if, if you meet, meet somebody with a goatee named Clara, you might be like, wait, what? Like, you have to think about it. You can't just, like, go down the line. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's really dope. Did it make your transition any harder, though? Because, you know, typically Clara is associated with, a, like, a female name. But did it, like, cause anyone to misgender you or anything? Did it make it harder? I, yeah. I mean, uh, I guess maybe harder feels relative because it's not like so hard of a burden that like I'm not willing to do it but like mm-hmm. I definitely think you know I like even my uncle talks about you know there was a family friend growing up in childhood Clara Doman who you know he's just used to using Clara in a certain way and like it would be easier and I'm mm-hmm. like you know I love you uncle but like it's not about what's easy for you <laughs> right <laughs> like um I do think that it probably leads uh people to maybe be more prone to error and like i do like on my on my resume like in my legal career like i make sure to have like my pronouns right underneath like Mm. um to you know make sure people know um so yes it does lead to error but at the same time i feel like it almost opens up opportunities for conversations like even with like literally the dental hygienist right like it just like it came (laughs) up at some point so it it kind of opens conversations and and it's been worth it so far i haven't decided that like even though I might be opening myself up to more uh, mistakes that, yeah, I, I should change it. Yeah. That's really cool. I'm like half jealous because like you don't have a dead name that like mm-hmm. got to you every time you hear it. Like, oh, you like took your name and you made it yours. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Cause like, I wish I had that a little bit. Cause like I still, I'm, what eight years into my transition and I still can't hear my dead name without wanting to die. <laughs> like I, I kind of wish that sometimes I just took that name and made it what I feel like it could be now. If that makes sense. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I definitely like, you know, I'm open and talking about Clara Bell, but certainly, I mean, that would be like the closest equivalent would be like, right. Oh, I really hate that. Um, mm-hmm. That's my dad was the last one to keep using it even over like 25 years. Right. Cause I like came out mm. or at five or six, I was like, don't say Clara Bell. And I really had to have a conversation and I'm like, dad, you just not say Clara Bell. Like it almost felt like he was like, Oh, I know the real you. And I was like, no, you really, it's like the total opposite actually. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I definitely empathize um yeah i don't know and it's hard it's really pressure that's the thing it felt like pressure to be like and now you will rename yourself oh my god oh my god i don't know it's like a huge decision so i understand yeah i want to dive deeper into that because you said you you didn't feel like you needed to become a whole new person which is a different perspective i've heard from other trans men because i feel like or just trans people in general because 
I think that is a common theme. Like we come out and we're like, okay, I need to start fresh. I need to get rid of this name. I need to get rid of these pronouns. I need to look completely different. I want to do it over again, which is completely valid. That's what I did. I wanted to just start over and become somebody else because I didn't like who I was before, I guess, in a way. But I think it's really cool that you – because, like, I don't know. I guess I talked about it in my last episode a bit that, like, being trans and the way people talk about it, even people in the trans community talk about it in a very, very negative light sometimes that you have to hate yourself. You have to hate your past. You have to hate everything about you in order to be trans. And I just think that's a new – positive perspective if you want to elaborate a little bit on your thoughts about you know not yeah, changing for sure. name and whatnot. for sure and obviously like i i know that everybody experiences like different levels of dysphoria and has different amounts of like you know friends family etc like support or therapy in their lives so you know i i certainly think if people want to have a completely fresh start like you know happy happy for them definitely like not saying that this is the, the best way to do it um but yeah for me when I thought about being like, you know, right, I figured out that I was trans in November of 2020. I was 29, about to turn 30, which is like a big number, I guess. And um, I was like, oh my God, I'm just going to erase everything and just be like, no, I'm, we're going to try to ignore all of that. We're going to say all of that stuff and we're just going to start over. And that just felt like the most depressing thing. That just felt like, oh my God, isn't that such a waste of those 30 years? Like, uh, I don't know. I've always been like interested in like, uh, like activism and, and I just couldn't, I just couldn't sit with being like, no, but I'm going to be this totally new person. It just felt so depressing to me. Um, so yeah, I, I, and especially after being like out as like a, a, a gay slash lesbian person for 17 years. Yeah. I just, I just couldn't imagine completely starting over and just like trying to blend in like that. It just felt like it went against everything. Um, yeah, I don't know, like all the morals that like I grew up with. Um, like I, yeah, I, I like I had my great great grandmother was like a suffragette and worked for the National Women's Party, and you know, like I heard all these stories about her growing up. You know, like at one point she like went to picket the Capitol. And the family, she got arrested and the family had to go get her. And they were like, please don't do that again. And she was like, I promise I won't. And the next week she uh, picketed the White House. And she was like, well, I didn't say the White House, right? <laughs> so like, I always have like grown up like hearing these stories. And I was like, mm. I want to do something that like, uh, you know, stands up for like a community that's important to me. Right. So that I wanted to touch on that too more. Because uh, you did mention that you, you don't want to be, and I think, I align with this too and many other trans men that you don't obviously we are men and we want to pass as men and be treated as such but I personally don't wish I was cis I think I used to in my transition a lot I, I but now it's a new thing that I don't really wish to be cis anymore I don't whatever but um you said that you didn't like the idea of blending in with cis men and not being like radically visible because I guess when you were out as lesbian you know it was clear that like you stood for something and like whatnot and I guess maybe by not changing your name and keeping it Clara does that make you feel like you're not blending in with cis men and that you could still like be radically visible as as a trans man yeah I guess um a little bit with cis men for sure but also even just in terms of um 
if you're if you're in a group of uh, maybe just queer people in general or like you know lesbian identified people, and then it's just like oh you're just another dude, you know. So even just like trying to feel like oh I'm more openly queer, and so other queer people can recognize that, right? Instead of like getting written off in the room and being like well we're not really interested in talking to that dude. Why mm. is that dude trying to talk to us, <laughs> right? I have heard of some people wearing like. Um, like a trans flag necklace or something that you could pull out just at the right time, mm-hmm. I guess, if you really wanted. Uh, I did that. I had like a dog tag that had the trans colors on it for the longest time, just so people would know. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I could be different. <laughs> I think it's I think it's important for trans people to do that if they want to, though, because you go from, most of us obviously come from being proud L words, I guess, <laughs> and like standing up for something and making a difference. And yes, we still do it as trans men, but we're hidden a lot easier because we look like your regular Joe Schmo cis man. And I guess I lost my train of thought. <laughs> but do you feel like it's easier or harder for you to? stand for something now um you know interestingly in some ways i feel like i have more self-confidence now and i don't know if that is the testosterone or if that's just Mm. feeling more comfortable in my body or a little bit of both and so in some ways uh yeah i actually do feel a little uh, I, I do feel like I'm, I'm able to, to stand for something even a little bit easier than before because I don't mind being in the spotlight. You know, even this mm. interview today, right? Like um, I, I just finished law school, but prior to that, I was a reporter and I was always the one doing the interviewing. But, you know, on mm. the other side, it's, I'm like, it's about the other person. And now like I am feeling like more comfortable, like taking up space. Um, and That's yeah, I think part of that has to do with like owning like who I am and not trying to like, you know, tuck away this like masculinity that I was like, we're going to ignore that. <laughs> um, yeah. I got you. Yeah. Cause I remember before I, I came out, I was excited to pass a cis and whatnot, but then I, well, the more I started to be compared to cis men and be seen as a cis man, I found it very odd, the feeling that I felt because I wanted to, I wanted to be like them and look exactly like them, but I missed like the like being able to stand out if that makes sense like being an average guy no thank you I don't want to be average <laughs> like I want I want to stand out and I want to make a difference and I feel that in like in every bone in my body that that's what I was meant to do and that's what I want to do but I guess feeling like a cis man I guess I guess I guess it feels like you can't because there's so many of them. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I don't know. But do you, I remember actually, this is where I was going with that before. Um, you said something along the lines of not being able to relate to cis women anymore in public spaces. Do you feel that way? Um, I guess it's more a little bit of a worry, right? I still, you know, um, I've been on low dose gel and, you know, just had top surgery. So I haven't felt like I've always been the most, uh, like cis passing. So mm-hmm. we'll see how it continues, but I definitely a worry, you know, I went to, um, Mount Holyoke college, like one of the seven sisters, um, colleges. And so I 
have so many great friends from that space. Um, and I, it kind of, you know, I'm on like my classes reunion board and like, I'm very active. And so it kind of freaks me out to be like, Oh my God, am I going to go back to a reunion and people are going to be like, what is this dude doing here? <laughs> what is that? Like those relationships and like all the things that I learned at that institution and like really identifying as a feminist are so important to me. And so I guess the idea of being like, oh, am I in like opposition to that, you know, now, which of course mm. like, I'm not, but yeah, I just fear of like losing that insight or that connection to the, the community for sure. Do you find yourself hanging out more with cis men with cis women than men like do you feel more comfortable around women i i um i definitely hang out with a with with cis women with cis men with trans men for sure um i, I could use some more trans uh women friends in my life um but uh i don't necessarily it's almost like a, I feel like i use them for different things but like i find that we do different things right like i'm gonna have like the deep meaningful conversation you know these are like terrible stereotypes but i feel like i have more of the emotional conversations like with some of the like cis women in my life mm -hmm. and then um with the cis men somehow it always ends up being like sporting stuff like are we like playing frisbee golf are we going mm -hmm. on a bike ride like mm -hmm. i don't know are we going to a brewery and like <laughs> i enjoy both of those things and there are certainly people of course who can like cross over and like um i don't know interact differently and of course i've had like emotional conversations with men too but it might even just be like how i'm boxing these people based on like what i was grew up with and what was culturally normal of, like well this is what i do with this person um so yeah that's kind of how i see my friends as well i think that's funny um hmm. but yeah because you were saying that um we were talking on instagram and i related to it because i also feel like i can't relate to cis women the same way like i could like with my close friends for sure like if they were talking about having a period or something tampon whatever like i could say something that like could be relatable because i lived a life like that for sure but i feel like if i did it not that they would make me feel that way they're good people but like from a societal standpoint it would make me less of a man or not a real man if i were to be like oh yeah i remember when i got my period blah, blah, blah. you know what i mean like i think it would be weird and i hate that because i i think a small part of me small does miss being able to relate to women on that kind of stuff i guess if that makes sense mm -hmm. i guess uh my, my follow-up to that um is that i have noticed um which is, this is like a terrible habit I need to get out of. Sometimes when there's a new, like new cis women in my life who like don't know me prior, um, like my wife does uh, agility competitions with our corgis and it's a very female dominated sport. It's like obstacle courses. And I'll notice I'm on it. Sometimes I come off as like standoffish and I'm like, oh, I'm not, I'm trying not to be like overly friendly because I'm like, then are they going to think about, then are they going to realize like as the woman, are they going to think about, not that like I'm trying not to be out, but is that going to be at the top of their mind, you know? And I'm like, no, I'm being like, I should, I should not just like not be friendly because I'm, I get dysphoric or socially dysphoric or something. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's weird how it all gets stumbled up into like how your, your dynamics with people. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a struggle for a lot of trans men, you know, because typically we're more, and I'm not outgoing, but just more friendly, I guess, than cis men. And I'm always so 
fucking aware of it when I meet new people too. Like I'm always like, hey, like how are you? And then I'm like, oh my god, Cody, tone it down. <laughs> okay, relax, act cool. <laughs> You're gonna out yourself. But like, they don't notice, you know. Like nobody else thinks like that besides us, which is so fun. <laughs> Sure, you're gonna be hypercritical, like your own your own biggest critic. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> to get into our other topic for the day, I again we were talking a little bit prior um, about how you, I think it started because I started asking you about you know testosterone stuff, and you said you were on a lower dose, right? And I wanted to wait mm-hmm. till now to ask you why you chose to be on a lower dose. Yeah, sure. So I tend to be a little bit more of a risk avoidant person in general, um, right? And I, I came out and then I spent the first year socially transitioning, which for me just meant like, okay, I've come to this conclusion that like, I'm I'm not that little girl, right? I did all these things to try to be like, look, I'm socially acceptable. And then I was like, okay, there just needs to be some sort of radical shift happening. And so I spent that first year like going to support groups on Zoom because of COVID and like reading books and like listening to YouTube or podcasts or just like trying to hear all these different people's experiences and being like, is this me? I think this is me. Um, And uh, so I was really interested in having top surgery um, because I realized that was like a large part of my dysphoria. Um, And when I wasn't going to be able to have it um, because I was in law school and I had like some shoulder issues going on and I was just like, okay, do I, do I want to try this? Do I want to try testosterone? But it's like one of those things where you're like, okay, well, if I'm reading about it all the time, I probably want to try it. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like, you're like, those people don't do this. Um, but you know, it's like everything is kind of the research is so new and you're like who do I trust and you know it's like oh you want to go to like a trans affirming provider and you're like oh my god if I went to like if I lived anywhere else in the, if I lived anywhere in the world and I'm like I have a knee issue it'd be like well here's what we do about your knee but it's like there's so many different like uh, ways to think about like transition there wasn't like one obvious medical path mm-hmm. and so I wanted to go for like a slower approach So that was like one thing. And then I also, because I was still going to have a chest and I felt like I had a larger chest, um, I felt unsafe about having a potentially visible chest and then like potentially starting to have these changes and maybe looking like, I don't know, more than a butch butch lesbian at that point. Like, (laughs) like really being like, what is happening with this person? I mean, for years, I was already like struggling in the back room. You know, I, I'd go, I'd go into the women's room and I'd, I'd see some grandmother, like grab her daughter's hand and run out. And then I'd be like, well, that was weird. And then later I'd be like, Oh, <laughs> I didn't realize. Oh. <laughs> um, so yeah. And because of my shoulder injury, I like, wasn't able to bind at all. So oh, shit. I, I didn't think about yeah. That. Um, that I just, uh, yeah. And, and part of the thing that I, I the, like nuts thing is that like, I realized I wasn't expanding my rib cage when I was breathing. Like my dysphoria had led me to like only breathe with my neck or my stomach, like just like Ooh. not really. And so that's really bad for you. Yeah, <laughs> I had to go to like special breathing TT. Oh my God. People don't get then, what we have to go through. Uh, if anybody's looking, it's called the Postural Restoration Institute. Um, they really helped me expand and now I, it's so much better. So, um, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so I was worried from a safety aspect, you know, my wife was in talks to 
take this job as a professor at the University of Wisconsin. And, you know, so far I've had an overall good experience. I had, I had one person, you know, yell, I think yell faggot at me on the street. And I wanted to be like, that's gender affirming. <laughs> <laughs> <You did us. laughs> I was wearing like a rainbow tank top. Um, that's not funny. Yeah, he, he was like driving, so I'm like, you literally took the effort to slow down the car, roll down your window, and yell at me. Like, um, so yeah, my wife was in talks to take this job at Wisconsin, and I was like, I'm moving to a new area potentially because I mean, she applied for this job like so far out, and um, yeah, I just overall decided to go for the slower approach just because I was nervous about safety. Yeah. Hmm. So you said that you. I guess to re-say what you already said, that you um, were nervous about passing, I guess, because you were on testosterone but didn't have top surgery yet. I guess you were worried about how, I guess, strangers would see you. Yeah. You felt unsafe in public mm-hmm. places. That's definitely. I think that's definitely frustrating. Did that ever frustrate the shit out of you? Yeah, I mean – it's one of those things where just like you have to keep living your life, you know? I mean, I've, I've been in therapy pretty regularly since 2015, so highly recommend everybody have like an outlet, um, you know, and, and I go to a trans support group on Zoom like two times a month uh, for people 30 years and up, so that, that's been really great. But, um, you know, it's just kind of like survival where you're just like, this is my situation now, and it just is what it is, and it's just been so much about the long term, like, you know what, I'm going to get that law degree. We're going to keep doing testosterone, but we're going to do it slowly. Like, you know, I'm going to have top surgery, but, you know, I mean, I had top surgery 16 months after I first made the call, right? Because 10 months to the consult, six months to the surgery. So it's just been about long-term gratification, which has been really hard. But, like, yeah. I made it. That's like, I can't even believe that it happened still. But, like, I made it here. It's here. Finished the degree. Had top surgery. We're moving forward. So. Um, I, I am thinking about maybe raising my dose sometime at the end of the year. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Yeah. Nice. Nice. I think, you know, you call yourself risk avoidant, which is valid. I know a lot of people who are, and there's no one way to transition either. Like no matter what pace you go at, it doesn't mean you're not trans enough, which we hate that argument, but has, have you ever felt that way has anybody ever made you feel that way because you're you take a little bit of a different route than other than other trans guys yeah right right. yeah the the not feeling trans enough kind of goes back to the trans time concept for me because you have all these things where you're like i'm not sure i'm not sure i'm gonna maybe maybe not i don't know gonna push that down and then it was that year that i spent kind of in the social transition phase where i like really made an effort to go to support groups and then you know maybe i those like people I knew in college where I'm like, I'm fascinated with that human being. I'm like, can we have a phone call? Like anybody I knew who had trans friend, I was like, can I talk to you? <laughs> like, I was like, I want to hear about your life, right? And like one of the themes that like blew me away was I would go to these support groups and and um not always trans mat. Sometimes it would be like non-binary, trans women, et cetera. And there was this really shared experience of not feeling trans enough. And I like couldn't believe this because I thought, you know, from the media, it's like everybody's born in the wrong body, born in the wrong body, new forever. That was definitely my path. I was going to commit suicide if that didn't happen. And that was not my experience at all. Like, I was just mm-hmm. like, this kind of sucks. And now, <laughs> But now I have more information about myself. I didn't think anything like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I was really shocked. And, I, you know, I think so much of that is a product of our culture and telling us that, like, this isn't real, this doesn't exist, you know, you can't do this. Um, you know, I mean, I remember coming out to my mom, one of her reactions was like, 
but everybody likes how you are. And I was like, what? Like, what is that? She's like, what is that? Like, I don't even know what to say. <laughs> like that's that's cool okay but i don't um, mom <laughs> yeah so yeah i couldn't believe how many people i met so in this odd sort of twisted way meeting all these other people who were asking this am i trans enough question was affirming because i was like everybody has a question actually <laughs> yeah. this is very trans it is very trans to ask are you trans enough so yeah wow. it's cool to see it in that light because like it's like i don't know Sometimes being trans, like, and everybody who is trans, there's, like, a click sense. Like, mm-hmm. you have your trans people who obviously shit on other trans people and make it harder for other trans people. But sometimes I feel like other trans people make you feel like you're not trans enough, not even the outside world. Because I feel like, especially in trans men, from what I've seen, there is kind of, like, a race to the finish line who can change their name first who can who can change their gender marker first who can get top surgery first who can start like and the more you do the more trans you are and the more you deserve to be congratulated and welcomed and shit do you have you ever felt like it was a competition between other trans people um so i haven't felt like i've at least like it, like introduced like friendships into my life where I felt like people have kind of had that toxic energy or like made me feel insecure like that. I have noticed more things like internally where I'm like, oh, maybe I'm meeting up with this trans person for the first time tomorrow. Like maybe I'll hold off on shaving, right? You know, like because I'm like, I want to feel really valid right now, right? Like I haven't felt like there's anybody who's made me feel that way um, in particular. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know... A good amount of trans people, I feel like. Because right? I spent that year trying to get to know everybody. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, just for everybody listening, I, we, you and I have been DMing for quite a while now since I had Aiden and Taylor on because you introduced me to Aiden, which, again, thank you so much for that. I appreciate you. Uh, but ever since then, I, you DM me like, hey, like here's another trans person who could be on. Who's, here's another one you could talk to. Or did you hear about this? And I'm like, dude, how do you know all these people? <laughs> yeah, I think uh, for me, finding community like really helped me feel solid in my identity. So um, I think I'm, I'm an extrovert. Uh, even like both my siblings, like, my sister plans events for a living and is like super social. Um, my dad's, are all, you know, I used to be a reporter. My dad's a reporter. You know, I mean, he says like his business is his Rolodex. Like it's his contact, right? Like that's how he has his job. That's what makes him valuable. But in addition to it, like feeling like a business transaction, like I really just enjoy people. Um, yeah. So um, I enjoy connecting with the community, like for sure. That's cool. It's, it's refreshing because most of my guests which is really sad, including like me before I started this podcast had uh, like my guests didn't don't usually have any other trans people in their life. And I didn't either. And I think I've said it many times, but it's definitely very, very important in somebody's transition to have other people who have shared the same struggles. So I'm happy to hear. Absolutely. And I really think you're doing a service for the community too. Like by having this podcast, like doing, like doing the discord, you know, you know, I reached out because I was like, this is so cool what this guy's doing. Like, yeah. Thank you, bro. That that warms my heart. I appreciate that. I when people say shit like that to me, it makes every hate comment because I'm starting to get very up here about all the hate comments and shit that I get. So every time I hear that, that makes all of this very worth it. So I appreciate you saying that. Um 
But I wanted to get into something that, you know, I've talked about a good, like a fair amount on each episode, but never really dove into is the safety for trans people. And I chose this as a topic because you, the way you've talked about how you've gone about certain things in your transition, like changing your name. Did you mention to me that you didn't change your gender marker? Or I have not. Yeah. Yeah. That's certainly, we can talk about that. Yeah. Do you want to explain why? Yeah, sure. So, um, I mean, originally I think it sort of started out practical where I, you know, where I was like trying to learn more about the community and, you know, I was busy with law school and, you know, as I was getting to know more people, I kept hearing all these like different stories, you know? So somebody was like, oh, I changed my gender marker. And then my insurance was like, well, you have an M, we don't cover gynecological care. And I was like, oh, really? Like, I was like, wow. I mean, of course, that sounds like a lawsuit. You, you know, you'd hope you could fill it as other things. Like I, I've heard somebody was like, okay, if you ever ran into that, you could try to convince your doctor to um, go see a, gy- a gynecologist and say it's like an anal pap smear and they can bill it that way. And and so wow. to try to, but it's like so many different circles. So yeah, some of the stuff like that was stressing me out. Um, I've talked to people who have traveled internationally um, and then felt like the second they changed their gender marker, like regardless of passing or not, you know, I, I don't know how all these international databases like work when you enter another country with security, but you know, there's certainly going to be something there that's like this person has made a change of some sort, you know, mm-hmm. and it took them forever to go through customs or people like not taking jobs. Like I know somebody who was offered some work in Poland and said no, because he was nervous about it. Um, so all these different reasons, um, or even, uh, you know, I, I don't think I'm going to jail ever, but, you know, as, as somebody who's like going to be working in the law, you know, something I think about, I don't know that I want to be in a men's prison. And it certainly depends where you are. I'm sure more conservative states would just be like, you were born with an F, you get an F, you're going there. But in some places they might send you a men's prison. And, um, terrifying. you know, That's absolutely terrifying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, to each their own. Some people might find that very affirming. Great, good for you. But- I mean, like, I do a little bit, but then I really think about it. I'm like, oh my god, like I would be murdered. Like, I don't know if I want to be in a in a male prison. Ugh. Yeah, That's and um, my mom's father came over from Germany at 14. He's um, he escaped from the Holocaust. Like, I have relatives um, that are like all over the world, like Australia, Argentina, the U.S., Israel, England. Um, there's actually one in Sweden, but we, she doesn't, there's no, I have no relatives left there because we think that she was a lesbian, didn't have kids. Um, so, uh, I grew up with this mentality of like trying to protect yourself and safety being like a big priority. And so, you know, even in terms of thinking about like doing like 23 and me just to see your DNA, you know, like, you know, my mom was like, you don't want to put yourself in a database, you know, like, of you know, here's a list of Jews, you know, and I was like, oh, I don't know that I want to be on some government database of somebody who's like, here's a list of all the people that have swapped gender markers, you know, and there, there's, there's been, you know, so much turmoil politically and, you know, uh, freak outs about war, you know, since, I mean, there always is, but like, it's been intense, you know, and that's part of why I decided to go to law school. Um, and so I just have felt like for my personal safety so far, it, it has felt like a, a better choice to not change my gender marker. Do yeah. you have any plans at all? Like, do you want to in the future or no? As of right now, I'm not interested in changing my gender marker. Um, how I've, uh, this might be an interesting anecdote, like how I've navigated TSA so far is that um, when I go to fly, I, have, I haven't flown international recently, but when I've flown uh, domestic, 
I will typically wear a mask and I, I mean, I can only really grow a goatee anyway. So then like, they only ask you um, to like pull down your mask when you show your ID. I just pull it down to here. <laughs> they don't see the facial hair. It's just like, yup. And um, somebody had once suggested if you needed to be like passing, you should wear some dangly earrings. You'd be like a kooky arty lady with a short haircut. So I show up to the airport at TSA. I got, I borrow like my wife's earrings. I got my mask on. I go right through security. And the second I'm putting my shoes back on the other side, I'm taking them out and taking the mask off. And then that's it. That's what I've done. Um, oh my god! Yeah, so I don't really know funny. if at some point that might not but, work, but yeah. But like, also wild that you have to do that too. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Jesus, does that like make you dysphoric when you do that at all, or no? Uh yes, but I just feel like it's worth it. Like it's just like okay, I'm gonna be okay. Like okay, I'm just I'm checking my bag. I'm waiting in the TSA line. I mean, there was one time when some guy was like, nice earpiece. And I turned, like, like he thought it was like a stud. And I turned my head and he was like, oh, sorry. You know, so I'm like, oh, fuck. I don't know how much longer I can do this. So I just feel like, uh, yeah, yes, it does make me feel dysphoric, but I just know it's so temporary. And it's honestly kind of, I'm just like, well, this is kind of a funny situation. So, yeah. <laughs> hey, that's a, that's a glass half full kind of perspective on it. So I love that. Do you... Do you have any other like safety precautions that you use as a trans person in public places? I did. So like I had so many bad experiences with TSA. That's sort of the background of this too. Like somebody who I cut my hair off in 2010 and never went back. Always have had short hair since then. Um, like I had, I had one time. I, I mean, I I knew that they did the body. You know, some of the airports still do body scans. They started to phase that out a little bit. If you're flying through Newark now, not all the terminals have them. So that's nice. Um, but. I had some guy pat me down, you know, and in my mind, I'm just like, well, why would they separate these like professionals that are supposed to be here for TSA by gender? Like, of course, a man should be able to search anyone because you're supposed to be a professional, right? So it never even occurred to me that this is a man thinking of a man patting me down. And he's mm. like, oh, sir, sir, is this your, is, are you wearing like a brace? And I was like, I'm a woman and this is my bra, right? Oh. And so to avoid that before, I mean, I haven't flown since I had top surgery because I just had it, but I might even like um, wear uh, like a pink shirt to the airport or even just be like, take the bra strap out and just have it like up here. I just didn't want to have the confrontational conversation. I just wanted to get through the body scanner and then just like put my hoodie on, take my earrings out, whatever. <laughs> so it really was just like to try to avoid the confrontation discussion with TSA. So, Dude, that is my worst mm. nightmare. Uh, flying, like traveling as a trans person can be terrifying. Like, Actually, I have a link here I almost forgot about from folks. A folks made an article about uh, its tips flying while trans. And I'm going to link it in the description below because I think it's really important. They they talk about, uh, you know, what to do with your legal name change and gender markers if you don't have those switched or changed when flying. What else they got in here? They got how to get through TSA, pre-checks. Going through airport airport security, metal detectors, and body scanners, especially if you know you're a trans guy who's packing, maybe don't pack when you're going through metal detectors and stuff at the airport. I feel like that's that's a no go, and especially for trans women too. Going, it's just the shit that we have to go through, man. I I hate it, and not a lot of people like because I I've met some trans guys who are afraid to fly. 
uh, especially with like packing and stuff and be like, well, I have to wear it. I'm not going to not wear it. Like, and it, they get they get trapped there, and they have to get pat down and stuff, and and trans women with tucking and stuff. It's and then even carrying uh, your testosterone and stuff, you can get questioned for the hormones that you're bringing on with you. I mean, I'm not. Folks can say it all a lot better than me, so maybe you know, future Max, if you want to make this article f- go fly by me right now while while I'm talking. Uh, that would be great, but they, they lay it all out for you if you, cause I'm flying soon. I'm going on vacation soon and I'm, I'm worried about, you know, going through, I always bring my, uh, my name change papers and stuff. And I remember That's a good the, idea. F- the first time I went on a cruise and I wasn't, I don't think my passport matched my ID yet or anything. And also my parents are divorced me and my sister have different dads. So when my family goes on vacation, we all have different last names. And I was not who I was on my passport. And they were like, who are you? Whose kid are you? I was a minor. Like it was, I had to bring a note from my dad. I had to call my dad. He had to talk to TSA for me because I wasn't flying with him. I was just with my mom. They, and I was a kid. Like I was a kid. Like, oh, they don't care. They really don't care, and it's really sad. But definitely give that article a glance if you are a trans person who is about to travel because it's it's scary out there, man, and people don't realize that we have to think about these things. I do have one quick tip for flying with testosterone. Um, mm-hmm. Also, just want to acknowledge that sucks that that was your experience. Um, <laughs> but uh, when, I, when I, you know, uh, fly, right, you know, I got the needle, syringe, whatever, testosterone – there's normally like on the box, at least for me, or you know, when you pick up something from the from the um, pharmacy, sometimes there'll be like a sticky tab, right? Like a sticker that might say like your name, the pharmacy, the doctor, the amount. And that's like the only thing that says like my name and testosterone on it. And I just rip it off the box and just put it with all the supplies. So if any TSA person has to open it, look, there's my name with the medication name right there. It doesn't mm. have to go there. Just use paper, but like whatever. So <laughs> yeah, it, just in case. So uh, that's an idea. That is an idea. I have to because I have to bring my hormones with me because I'm going away in November. That's a good idea. I'll probably do that as well. Um, I want to talk about a little bit some other maybe safety tips for trans folk, trans folks who also consider who also consider themselves risk avoidant, who are just anxious in general about uh, transitioning and just the safety hazards that come with being trans. Um. And which brings me to a question for you. Do you kind of, do you use public restrooms at all? I do use public restrooms. Um, yeah, since I only just had, but okay. So I only just had top surgery. So now I'm trying to exclusively use all gender or men's rooms. But prior, it kind of felt like, have I shaved my face or not? Like, it was like, I felt like it was more dicey or like how bulky are my clothes right now? Mm. Um, I haven't run into a public restroom issue. I have not tried an FTP. I have only gone for a stall, but I certainly have had things where I've been like, I know that bathroom only has two stalls. So I'm going to wait until two people come out of that room. Cause I just saw two people go in or like, mm. uh, you know, I've definitely like done the turning around. Come on, maybe I'll go to the one down the hall um, kind of a thing. People who have, who fucking use STPs, more power to you. I in in public restrooms, I mean, like, uh, uh-uh. 
couldn't be me. I don't know how y'all do it. That's scary. <laughs> I'll take a stall. Thank you very much. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, some safety tips would definitely be always have a bathroom buddy. Um, mm. I think I always like the idea of somebody standing outside of the bathroom door and not letting anybody else in because when I'm also pee shy, okay? So like no matter what, like if I'm home and there's like people in my apartment, like I have to play a TikTok or something while I'm peeing because if you hear me pee, I'm going to freak out. So like if other people are walking into the bathroom, I'm just I'm just there. I'm just waiting for them to leave because I cannot be in front of other people. I am stage fright. But, so that's also a thing. Is why I don't really use public restrooms. But I think I would kill for like a bodyguard that could just like stand outside and make sure nobody comes in. Um, but yeah, if, if you have a bathroom buddy. Definitely bathroom buddy for sure. Yeah, it's great. If you're if there's a line and yeah, I mean, back in the day, right? I, I mean, if I was trying to use the women's, I'd have like, a friend or a family member like talk to me and then be like all these other female people would have to be like this person is being affirmed this should be in the line but they're clearly a female person mm. um yeah oh there's something else i was gonna say oh in terms of like being pee shy i've been trying this is like a ridiculous backwards thing but like i've been trying to convince myself that it's more masculine to not be pee shy i'm like these men don't care they're all peeing <laughs> next to each other I'm like if i pee the loudest that is actually the most masculine thing I can do. <laughs> <laughs> to show dominance. Yeah. <laughs> right. Because that's like, but I do feel like that's like a culture thing. Like women's bathroom culture, it's supposed to be like the quietest, the most yeah. easy, the most private. <laughs> <laughs> it's just men are out here taking dumps next to each other. Like I can't. Uh-uh. Not for me. There, there was a guy I used to work with at a magazine, like only when I was reporting, and sometimes he would bring a copy of the news, like maybe this week's paper to the bathroom with him. And it's like, you know exactly what you're doing with that. Like, and every, like me and my like coworkers, we'd like, we'd have like AIM or whatever. And we'd text and be like, Jeff brought a newspaper to the bathroom again. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> you know that's, what that the most, that's the most like power stance, alpha male type shit I've ever heard in my life. Like everyone needs to know I'm going to take a shit right now. Everyone has to know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still like to my girlfriend, like, I don't poop. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I don't do that. <laughs> That's mad funny. Uh, <clears throat> also, I have written down here that I almost forgot as another tip. Like I've talked about it in past episodes a couple times, how like, but only when it comes to like a social media standpoint, like, is it is it wrong for a person with a social media platform to uh, be stealth and not be a voice for the trans community? And I think that same kind of concept can come into play. Like, say you're out in public and transphobia is happening in a somewhat violent way to somebody else. I think every bone in my body would want to be like stand up for that person and I, I i probably would but if i didn't or if somebody else didn't i don't think that makes them a coward in any sense i feel like a lot of people think you're part of the trans community you have to stand up for everything trans all the time and be a voice all the time and like i just want to say that you don't have to be a hero if you are in danger like if you think you're going to get hurt in a public place for standing up for being trans, stay quiet and get out of there. Don't be a hero because 
it's not worth it. Your safety is 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 not worth it. Because even for me, I think I would have to tell myself. I'm always like, I, I, I can take them. Like, bitch, sit down. No, you can't. Like, get out of there. What are you talking about? <laughs> so I think that's an important, important tip that you don't have to be a hero. And if you're not a hero, if you don't stick up for yourself for being trans, if you're not a voice, it does not make you a coward. Is all I want. I 100 yeah back you up on that and and agree definitely like everybody has different skills that they bring to to the world and you know activism doesn't have to be for everybody at all times you know who who knows what's going on in your back you know in somebody's background their personal life their mm-hmm. financial situation if you're you know you're just trying to get by you know what well, whatever it is um yeah does not make you a coward i feel like a lot of people think that they have to be a voice for the trans community like when you have a platform on social media and you're like not talking about it and like not helping trans youth maybe that's a little different but like when it comes to your safety things are different um but and lastly like pretty clearly maybe don't especially trans women like don't don't walk home alone at night because you never know even if you're like somebody who's like oh, I could take them, like, oh, I'll be fine. You never know, and it's just, it's not worth the risk. The whole point of, you know, all of this is for us to be safe. We got to be safe. Yeah. I, I, uh, it was, it was really through, like, starting to date my now wife that I really kind of realized the, like, walking home alone at night. Like, as somebody, I was always, like, masculine presenting after I cut off my hair in 2010, and, like, I couldn't believe how unsafe my wife felt all the time, like, walking around Philadelphia, and I was like, you know, I wasn't even identifying as a man at that point or, you know, didn't have like major facial hair, but I just was like, oh my God. And then I would be like, are you sure? And then I'd go out with her in public and we'd like be on the subway platform in Philadelphia and like some men would like leer at her or lean into her or like say weird shit. Like I just was like, oh my God, this is a totally different lived experience than what I've experienced. Oh, completely yeah. different. I've, I've certainly felt unsafe too, but it's definitely like, I really under, understand where she's coming from. Oh, it's disgusting. And like, sometimes you don't see it unless like you see it from another man's perspective i guess like Hmm. i don't think i noticed before i was trans how many men gross old stinky men look at my friends my female friends Mm. in public and when i you know came out as trans and started identifying as male and like being comfortable in my own skin i actually like took a look around when we were in public and realized all these creepy men staring at my friends and i'll do like the I'll side eye him, like, don't fucking look at her, like, thinking I'm some tough guy, but, like, oh, it's disgusting. It's disgusting. Ugh. Bleh. It's like, why can't we just, like, I don't know, be respectful? <laughs> Who would have mm-hmm. thought? <laughs> but for our last little topic today, I I said it earlier that a somebody in the Discord server, Discord plug, join it. It'll be in the description below. Um gave me an idea his name is Eli we love you Eli uh the idea to kind of have a little segment called things that should have made me realize I was trans but didn't so I had everybody in the discord server send some stories from their childhood when they should have realized they were trans and it just never clicked in anybody's head and after I'm done reading mine you did share some uh, already but after I'm done reading these if you want to share yours be my guest uh but Uh, We have a lot, a good amount, and it starts with Miles. Miles said, 
I used to only play as boy characters because they were cooler. And then I was, and then when I was online as a kid, I would I would pretend to be a boy. I did that. <laughs> I always <laughs> did that. <laughs> I, I'd be on Club Penguin. Like my my Club Penguin, my Penguin's name was like Danny Six Zero Two One Eight. Like none of my friends questioned me. Thanks, guys. <laughs> uh, next one's from Jack. Uh, there are so many little things like wishing my voice was deeper, that I was hairier, that I was more, uh, that I had more muscle as a little girl. I'd imagined myself as a female character that looked 100% male. And I convinced myself it was because boy bodies are cooler. <laughs> I like that one. Cause like you still like would picture yourself as a female character, but just look that one that just looked male. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, the next one's from Eli. I used to wear basketball shorts under my pants to be like boxers and then sag my pants so people could see them or when my brother started growing a beard wondering why, when I was going to grow one too. That's so wholesome. I love that. Mm. I would I would wear boxers all the time and sag my pants too. <laughs> be in my room like pretending I was like some rapper. Like little girls like don't do that, guys. <laughs> I feel like I should have known. Uh, and then the next one is from Sam. Sam, I think is a trans woman. Yes, her pronouns are she, her. Uh, she says, constantly thinking, wow, lesbians are so cool. Haha, <laughs> could never be me, though. <laughs> That's like what we were saying before. How, like, mm-hmm. couldn't I couldn't say the word lesbian. I was gay. I was 100% gay. <laughs> uh, Miles again. I would accidentally use my bro- brother's body wash when we shared a bathroom as a kid. And then before I knew what binding was or how to do it safely, I would use ace bandages on my chest to make it flat. Miles. Bad miles. <laughs> no, I mean, like, you got to do what you got to do. I don't blame you, but it's dangerous. I hope you're, I hope you're breathing and your lungs are okay, mate. Uh, then Bailey said, anytime I'd play with my friends, sis- my friends or my sister, I'd always be the male character. Like if we would play family or house, I'd always be the husband, the brother, the son, yeah. never the female character. Uh, same with video games and toys. I don't know why no one questioned it. <laughs> Dude, playing house, always the son, always the brother, always the dad. Someone tried to make me the mom. Mm-mm. I said, mm-mm. <laughs> That's not how we play, actually. <laughs> uh, Robin. I wanted to draw on a beard for a carnival. I was hiding my chest with long hair before I bought my binder. I wanted to be like gay like gay boys, and I wanted my mom to promise me that I don't have to ever wear a dress again when I was six. Ugh. Felt that one in my bones. I felt that. Oh, and then Miles says, <laughs> Little TMI. But I would try standing to pee, but it never worked until I got an STP. <laughs> that takes commitment. <laughs> uh, and then everyone started talking about how they were a pirate for Halloween a lot and how being a, being a pirate for Halloween as a trans man is a canon event, which I thought was really funny because I was definitely a pirate like five years in a row. <laughs> uh, and then Miles again. I was obsessed with Danny Phantom. <laughs> Clay Mulan was and still is my favorite Disney princess. Solid. <laughs> Me too. Uh, Agreed. Mason, I was absolutely obsessed with Mulan and Danny Phantom. I also got mad when my elementary 
teachers would say they needed strong boys to carry stuff and wouldn't let me help them. Yo, me too. Me too. I'd be like, why? I'm a strong little dude. Why can't I help you? What the fuck? Let's move uh, all these chairs, okay? I can do this myself. <laughs> get ass. Uh, let's see. Oh, Max, uh, when I was in preschool, I would try to sit backwards on the toilet seat to use the restroom like a boy. Backwards? Backwards, Confusion on what people do. (laughs) (laughs) I love you, Max. Uh, I took scissors and cut my hair off at three, and when my mom asked me why, I said, I want to look like a boy. That's the most, like, you should have realized, or somebody should have (laughs) realized. Uh, Tony, even though I didn't come out as trans until I was 24, I watched so many trans guys on YouTube, uh, testosterone updates, coming out stories, top surgery recoveries and all. And I thought, wow, I'm such a good ally (laughs) or I wish I could do that. Well, back to being a girl, I guess. (laughs) Dude, that was me with like being gay and stuff. I'm like, yes, gay rights. I'm not gay though. (laughs) You guys go. (laughs) True ally. (laughs) <clears throat> and then more about how pirates being a pirate for Halloween is a canon event. Uh, and then Tabby Cat, uh, who is a trans woman, said, Freshman year, homecoming. My friend was complaining about wearing heels. I knew she had the same foot size as I did. I told her, uh, I told her they're no big deal. She dared me to try them on. I did and wore them longer than the joke was funny. She literally had to ask for them back, but I can't be trans, right? <laughs> That's not funny. I remember always stealing, like, my guy friend's hats and, like, T-shirts and stuff and, like, making it seem like it was a joke when it, like, clearly wasn't. I was having way too much fun, like, dressing up as a boy. <laughs> um, And then Miles, again. Uh, when I was a kid, I tried to shave my face, like, how I saw my older brother think – like, I saw how my older brother did it, thinking girls got facial hair and was very upset when I was told I wouldn't get any. That's, <laughs> like – Loki really sad. <laughs> uh, Anthony. Uh, my mom also used my mom also used to consistently yell at me for manspreading, especially on the rare occasions I allowed a skirt or dress on my body. She said, it's not ladylike. And I would roll my eyes and tell her, I'm not a lady. Yep, teenage me, even though you didn't know you were so right. <laughs> I hated that. Oh, across your legs. I used to get that all the time. And then I started oh. wearing the shorts underneath, and I was like, whoa. You <laughs> can't do anything now. <laughs> yeah. Anthony, the fact that you were like, I'm not a lady, <laughs> I feel like you should have you should have known. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> and then I think we got a couple more. Um, Max. So ever since I cut my hair short about three years ago, when I would go to the grocery store, I wasn't aware I was trans for a hot sec. I would often get called sir, or they would use he, him pronouns, and I would be so stoked. I would call my friends and be like, and joke about it and be like, LOL, so funny. You wouldn't believe, it. <laughs> wouldn't believe this person thought I was a guy. Ha ha ha. Literally the biggest smile on my face. I was totally clueless though, completely unaware. Like, why do I get so happy when people think I'm a guy? And then one day I was like, hold up. Why does this make me so happy? Dude, I remember I was getting, I think I've told this story before, I was getting on a line to go down a water slide and I was like six or something and I had still very long hair, but like I was in like boys swim shorts and like a swim shirt. And this guy goes, loving the hair, little dude. And I was like, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Stupid. And like, 
I should have known. It made me so happy. Um, <clears throat> is that it? I think that might be it. Um, oh, it's just a lot of, uh, from Midnight Thoughts, it's just a lot of smaller stuff when I was younger, like when I had convinced myself I was just a tomboy and when I would f- refuse to hang out with girls because playing with guys was much cooler and I felt more comfortable. <laughs> That's kind of like what you said earlier in the episode. Um, I, Robin, I wanted to play with the boys, but nobody let me do that. Uh, Thomas, I had a suit jacket and a waistcoat in my locker in school and I changed into them as soon as I got there. That's wild. That's commitment, bro. Props to you. Uh, Robin, I think this is the last one. Uh, Robin, I know somebody who is trans and I was jealous of him and that he could transition and I couldn't because I was like, well, I'm not even trans. (laughs) 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 Yeah, no, me too. Felt that one. I think we, we both related on that. Like, you know, you know, somebody was trans and was just weirdly, we were just weirdly obsessed with them for some odd reason. <laughs> uh, I love those. Thank you guys so much for sharing that with me. I thought all of that was very wholesome. Keep them coming. If you, if, you know, if you guys like hearing all those, I'll, I'll do that every week for a different category if you want. So just let me know. Um, but those were very wholesome. So thank you for sharing them. Uh, and I think you shared yours. Did you have another one? Uh, the other thing that really comes to mind is somebody in the third grade thought they were like teasing me and they decided that my nickname was going to be Larry. And then that was my nickname from the third grade through the ninth grade. <laughs> so for like a bunch of years, I was using a male name. Like I would call people's house and I'd be like, you know, is so-and-so there to like chat or have a play date? And they'd be like, who's calling? And I'd be like, you can say it's Larry. <laughs> Just like, well, not everybody does that, you know. Um, and did that like make you like happy? Like, did you get euphoria from that? Yeah, I think he. Okay, so the full. I think originally he was like, "You're Larry the Cow," and I was like, "What is that?" <laughs> but I was like, "I'm gonna own this. Look, I'm so mature. I'm gonna be like, yeah, I'm Larry. I, you know, your words bounce off me, sticks and stones, like you know. And, but but really, it was like gender euphoria. euphoria yeah. or, you know, <laughs> I had no idea. Sticks and yeah. stones, man. Sticks and stones. That's been funny. Uh, before we go, Jeff, I found this really interesting about you. Uh, I, you guys know I always do trans song of the week now. And when I asked you if you had a song that helped you through your transition at all, you said no, but I have something else. So I renamed it for this episode, Trans Art of the Week. So if you want to share whatever you brought, you can. Yeah, sure, sure. So, um, so yeah, when I was first asked this question, I was kind of thinking back. And a lot of times when I think about music, it's, I mean, sometimes songs can be direct with lyrics, but sometimes they're like more of a metaphor. And I just felt like when I came out, you know, I spent that first year like socially transitioning. I was like, I needed things to be really direct. I needed this to be like exclusively trans. I didn't need this to be like, you know, I don't know, was it the killer? I don't know, whatever. Different songs about like, I felt this way, or maybe it was, I was like, I want to know about trans culture. (laughs) So um, when I first took that gender studies class, um, and we learned about, oh my God, we literally talked about Buck Angel, like in my class, right? Oh like, God. And, and he was only known for porn at that point. Cause this is like 2009. He wasn't oh, even yeah. like an activist or anything. I mean, maybe I'm sure he was trying, right? Like, I don't know like his resume, but like, I, that's at least my understanding is that his, you know, was known at that point. So, um, I, um, so in addition to talking about Buck Angel in class, 
We also talked about this uh, magazine called Original Plumbing. And this is a copy. It's like their anthology. So it was a magazine that was in print um, for uh, two, from 2009 to 2019. So for 10 years, it was like a quarterly put together by um, two trans guys, Amos Mack and Rocco Coyotes. Uh, Coyotes. Um, and um, the name Original Plumbing was supposed to be a reference to genitals, right? <laughs> like that you're, you know, things might change with testosterone or, you know, whatever, you know, somebody pursues bottom surgery. And that always stuck out in my mind of being like, I remember like Googling Original Plumbing and being like, oh, I, you know, really wishing I could read it, but I didn't want to purchase the magazine, right? Because I was like, well, that would maybe mean that I was <laughs> So I was just like fascinated by it from afar. And then like when I finally came out, like, you know, the name, I was like, I'm buying a copy. <laughs> I was like, I, the original plumbing still exists. Like, I always wanted. And I was like, oh, no, it's not. They're not publishing anymore. But, yeah, they put together um, this, like, best of magazine articles, um, Feminist Press published. And you can still go on their website and buy some of the older magazines. But it just was really fun to kind of see. Uh, it's specifically trans mass culture. Like, um portrayed in like this sounds so cheesy like in like a cool way because before it felt like I don't know like when I was in college from 2008 to 2012 it was like you only ever saw it on the news it still felt like very like extreme you know like not you know mainstream and um to just be like oh here's a Q&A here's some people that like to play sports here are some people and they're like profession it's just like these are normal people they exist this is what they do this is how they spend their time and I just was like that was just so great yeah I was so happy to get a copy of original plumbing the best 10 years of trans male culture so I highly recommend uh checking that out because it really helped like I don't know normalize it for me it was just really great so yeah, yeah. nice I appreciate you sharing that with me uh and everybody else because I think that is like the that's the breakthrough moment for anybody who doesn't understand transness is just realizing that we're not, especially for trans men too, because we don't have like close to, we have close to little representation. So when people realize that we are just normal people and not like weird, confused lesbians who were like weirdly sex driven or some shit, like I think, <laughs> I think, you know, that's, that's, that's the moment where trans phobia starts to fade away when you realize we're not we're not doing that we're just normal fucking people so that's really cool you said that they don't they don't make them anymore or they don't yeah the, the authors have like focused on other things after 10 years um but you can certainly you can still go on their website you can purchase the like best of book and you can purchase old issues they have a sale right now a couple of the issues are only five bucks um so yeah i i highly recommend checking it out I will put the description to that in the in the I will put the link in the description below for that. Uh, thank you again for sharing that with us. Uh, what are your handles on social media so people can follow you? Sure, um, you can find me on Instagram. It's just my name at Clara Lefton. So C L A R A L E S as in Frank T O N at Clara Lefton on Instagram. Sweet. And make sure you follow me at HRT Podcast on TikTok and Instagram. I post on there every single day. Uh, follow me or subscribe to me on Patreon. Uh, I want to start making merch soon, and I can't do that if you don't subscribe to me on Patreon. So make sure you do that and join the Discord. Clara is in the Discord. He can vouch. It's a fun place to be. I promise you won't regret it. If you haven't already, why? I don't understand. It's free. 
you have no excuse. Just join it. Um, and that is about it. I drop videos on here every Tuesday. And that's it, guys. Clara, thank you so much for being on today. You were great. I appreciate thank you. It. And that's about it, guys. I will see you next week. Bye.